Welcome to the Commission Podcast. I'm Sarah from the Commission team. On the 25th of January 2020, we gathered for the Commission Women's Day, a morning of Bible teaching, worship, and time together for women all across the network. 300 women from 32 churches throughout London attended, hearing talks on the theme of building a gospel community in a lonely city. Today, we hear the second talk from Linda Alcock, author and church worker at the Globe Church South Bank, talking on Acts 2, entitled Building Gospel Community. Now, I wonder, um, as we read particularly the last section of that reading um, about the way that the new believers devoted themselves to their new community, I wonder if it resonated with you, a community of people meeting and eating together daily, sharing and caring it's really appealing, I think. Um, I was on holiday um, recently uh, in an Airbnb, and uh, on the bookshelf there, there was this book, The Little Book of Hygge. Um I don't know whether you're familiar with Hygge. It's kind of the Scandinavian way of living well. The guy who wrote this is the CEO of the Happiness Institute in Denmark, which I think tells you quite a lot about the author and about the... Scandinavian people. Um, but Huga is um, kind of, I guess it's best described, it's like hot drinks, blankets, fire. I guess Scandinavia is very cold and dark and it's warm. It's about warm friendships, warm communities gathering around an open fire. Now, you need to know about me picking up this book that actually I um, hate all things like that. I despise low-level lighting. I basically buy 100 watt bulbs so you kind of need sunglasses in our lounge. And I painted all the walls white in our flat. So I, really, I picked up this book thinking, I'm going to hate this, so I'm fascinated to read it. And as I read it, I found myself drawn in. I was like, maybe we should get some candles. <laughs> but I think it's because against that cold darkness, the warmth of friendship is so appealing. And I think that you get a little bit of a flavor in this passage of the fact that community is something we long for. It resonates with us. And I think that's because actually we were created for community. Now, as we uh, dig into this um, chapter of the Bible, it's important for us to understand where it fits in the whole scheme of things in the Bible. So Luke, who wrote the Acts of the Apostles, is the same Luke who wrote the Gospel Luke, which is where we got our first talk from, the account of the prodigal son, the account of the two sons. Uh, So the Gospel was his first work, and Acts of the Apostles is like volume two, the continuing work of Jesus after he died. And um, I don't know whether you noticed as we read it, but Luke's been giving us kind of specific events that happened on specific days. So he records in chapter one that Jesus rose from the dead and returned to heaven. And in chapter two, we see that the ascended Jesus sends down his Holy Spirit to continue his work through the apostles. And then um, in chapter two, he zooms in on Peter, who is one of these apostles. And we picked up the sermon in verse 36, where Peter had just told them that God had made this Jesus, whom they had crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And we see how the people respond, that they were cut to the heart. They, I suppose it's a little bit like the um, younger son. They, they come to their senses and they realize what they've done and they run, they run back to God. And then Luke tells us that they were baptized. Now that's a bit of a weird thing, but essentially it's like an outer sign of an inner change, the change from the old running away lifestyle, running away from the father 
they've changed. And baptism is a picture of that old life has gone. And now they're part of this new family. They're back with their father in this new community that God is building. And we see that in verse 41, that the Lord is um, added, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So this is like the saved family, the new family in the story of the um, two sons. This is the family of those younger sons who have been welcomed back. So Luke does specific events on specific days in the first couple of chapters. But now we get a change. I don't know whether you noticed the change in language in verse 42. He changes from giving a detailed account to giving a kind of summary statement of what this new saved community is like. So he's not giving us the exact details of what they did on particular days. Rather, he's kind of giving us a zoomed out, beautiful picture, a sort of almost idealized community that God is welcoming as he welcomes these younger sons back one at a time. And you'll see from the sort of adjectives in this section that it's, it's more than hygge. It's not just kind of a warm fire and a nice group of friends. Did you see the words? They're filled with awe. Their hearts are glad and sincere. They're enjoying and praising God. They're sort of overflowing in praise. And there was no need for children in need because there was no one in need because they shared everything that they had. So um, you'll see um, on, in the headings, I've kind of summarized it as that they were devoted to preaching and teaching, meeting and eating, sharing and caring, praying and praising. And so as we um, go into this talk, I want you to kind of have two questions in mind. And the first question is, which community are you part of? Uh, Linda talked for us about having that memory, the younger son having the memory of the father's father running, arms open, towards the younger son. And I guess the question is, do you have that memory of Jesus opening his arms and dying on the cross for you and you knowing at that moment that you were welcomed into this new community? Because if not, then perhaps just listen as this community is described and think, do I want this and, and why do I need it? And I'd encourage you even today to return to your father. He is wanting to welcome you with open arms. But the second question that I think this passage poses is that there is no middle ground here. There's no such thing as a saved believer who's not added to the church. So as we describe the church, you need to think, I am part of this. Is there any evidence for that? And what would that begin to look like in my life? So there's two things that you can be thinking of. Now, before we dig in, I'm quite excited by the strapline of our day building gospel community in a lonely city. And I want us to pause and think for just a moment or two as to why London feels like such a lonely city. Now in the passage, there are three words that are repeated. And those are the words together, daily, and devoted. So think about these words one at a time. The word together. In the original language of the text, the word translated together literally meant in the same place at the same time. Now in Bible times, of course, people were almost always in the same place at the same time, to the extent that many generations perhaps lived in one house and they, it would be quite unthinkable to leave the town where you were born. Whereas we do that less and less. I'm guessing most of you actually weren't born in London. I think we got a taste of this same time, same place in the Football World Cup. Now, again, just a kind of disclaimer, I really don't like football, so I don't use this illustration because I am passionate about it. But I did 
think that it was quite an interesting phenomenon. We actually put our telescreen outside in the courtyard of our flats and gathered with our neighbours. What a weird thing. We would just not, I don't even know their names. And they would come and be like, oh, can I bring a seat down and join you? And I'd be like, and I'm Linda, what's your name? You know, I've, we've lived there five years and we've kind of not really even got to that stage. Sometimes they chuck pegs back over my balcony when they fall off, but you know, there's no need to know their names for behavior like that. So I found it quite interesting. And even I, who hate football, I'd be at the bus stop and I'd find myself spontaneously breaking into conversation about the results. And I'd be like, what is this? This is weird. For a moment, London stopped being so lonely because as a nation, we gathered in the same place at the same time and shared an experience. Now, I'm going to show my age here, but in the olden days when I was at school, actually all of television happened like that. Can you believe it? It's extraordinary. So, home and away, 10 past 5 every evening. I organized my revision around it so I could stop at 10 past 5 and watch it. And then I went into school the next day and I would talk with my friends about what happened. And it, we weren't quite the same place, same time, but there was this shared experience. And actually, it happened across the nation. We all watched the same programs at the same time and then could share in the office the next day what had happened. Now, I'm not saying the olden days were better. They really weren't or easier. But I'm just saying that life feels more lonely because there's less of this same time, same place, because everything is on demand. So you don't need to be in the same place at the same time. You can watch things whenever suits you. In fact, you can do church on demand. You could listen to four songs on Spotify, then listen to a sermon, no need to even leave the sofa. So why bother going to church? Well, I hope that by the end of this talk, you might have an idea of why. So the fact that we're rarely in the same place at the same time. That's one of the reasons London is lonely. Now, the second word is daily. And I simply want to make the observation here that I hear a lot of people in Globe saying things like, I've been coming to church for a year now and I still don't feel like I really have any friends here. Compare that to their student days when they found it really easy to make deep friendships. What's the difference? They were together daily. They were in each other's rooms, each other's lecture theatres, each other's kitchens, each other's lives. And so I just want to make the observation that the depth of friendships is directly proportional to how much time we spend together. So to put it starkly, if you don't find time, you won't make friends. If you don't make time, you won't make friends. Now, in Bible times, it was easy because of frequent shared daily routines. So you'd have to go to the market every day because you didn't have a fridge you'd have to go to the well to get your water. And so you'd be walking with people, same time, same place, every single day. And so friendships would just go deeper and build more quickly. And I'm not saying you need to kind of invent frequent shared routines and that's the answer. But I'm saying being aware of the fact that you might live far away from one another. And so you never really doing things in the same place at the same time on a frequent basis. Just being aware of that helps you to think, okay, so I can overcome this hurdle to build friendships, but I need to do it in a thoughtful way. And technology, actually, I don't want to make this a rant about technology, it can be brilliant because you can easily message people daily and phone them. There's lots of ways in which you can be frequently in each other's lives, even though not physically present. So the frequent daily shared routines does make it more difficult. And the third thing, uh, the third word in this passage is the word devoted. Now, I want you to imagine 
the youngest son returning home, welcomed by his father for all the wrong, you know, forgiven of all that wrongdoing. How do you think he's going to react the next morning when he wakes up in his bed? Thanks for the welcome, Dad. I'm off to Prague now because I've got a cheap Airbnb. Working all next week, but I think there's a Sunday in March which is free, so I'll probably see you then. That would be unthinkable. It would show that his return was meaningless. Surely that memory of his father running towards him would completely change his attitude towards his father. And the word in the passage in Acts that sums up the people's response, they're cut to the heart and they respond to God by being devoted. I love that word because it speaks of giving yourself completely. So in the um, original language, it meant kind of spending time giving attention to something. But it also carries undertones of loyalty, love, and passion. My friend, uh, when I was talking to her, she said, oh, it's a bit like watching a box set, isn't it? I was like, well, kind of, but I know what she meant. Like that idea that you just were thinking about it all the time and it's what got you through the day and you couldn't wait to watch the next episode. That's giving yourself completely to something, giving your time and your headspace to it. And actually, in a way, that's how the father acted towards the son. He completely gave himself for the son. And the son's memory of that would surely result in the son completely giving himself to love and serve the one who gave everything for him. So being devoted is just quite an interesting thought when you think about our culture. Because, again, I'm gonna, it's going to sound like a rant about the olden days, but it isn't. I just want to see why it feels more lonely now. So my dad used to work in an office. He'd be physically present in the office. And then when he went home at 5 p.m., his colleagues wouldn't be able to contact him until the next morning. So in a way, you could say when dad was home, he was devoted to being at home. He was completely giving himself to being at home. He was cut off, actually, from anything else. And when he was at work, he was devoted to his work so that he could get home at 5 p.m. Unless, of course, office called the landline. Now, that was a crazy thing. So when we moved to London, we got this broadband package, which included a landline. I was like, why would we need one of those? So we plug it in, and then one day it goes off, and my son jumped out of his skin. He's like, what is that? Like, there's this alarm coming from the broadband router. Like, darling, that's a landline. Have you never come across it? Yeah, so in the olden days, you would phone a landline if you wanted to connect these two separate worlds. But now we can work whenever suits us and wherever suits us. But that actually means we find it hard to be 100% present anywhere because we've always got half an eye on our notifications and perhaps one earphone in. So it's just harder to be devoted, to give yourself completely to something because we're bombarded by distractions and connections to other times and other places. Now, I think it's encouraging to know that our culture is not unique in struggling with distraction because when Luke writes this, Did you see he writes that they devoted themselves? So even back then, without technology, it was a deliberate, conscious, active choice to give themselves completely to this new community. We have to work harder because we've chosen to put in our pockets little distraction devices that are trying to pull us away from what we're doing to do all the other things that the companies that you know, sponsor our apps are wanting to get us to spend our time on. So it's just harder to be devoted in this culture in London. So the three words, they are related. Um, So the people were together in the same time, the same place frequently because they've made the decision to devote themselves to one another. 
So as we have that memory of our Lord welcoming us back with open arms as he died on the cross for us, our response should be to completely give ourselves to him who completely gave himself for us and to give ourselves to same place, same time, meeting with others who've also experienced that welcome. And um, we see how that pans out in these, in these verses. So we're going to dig in now to verse 42 to 47, because Luke, in verse 42, he tells us what they were devoted to. So four things, the apostles' teaching, which I've summed up as preaching and teaching, fellowship, which I've summed up as sharing and caring. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which um, I've summed up as meeting and eating, because the way that the Greeks constructed, actually, the breaking of bread seems to be the same as eating together. Um, So meeting and eating, and the fourth thing was praying, so devoted to praying and praising. And he sort of expands on these in verses 43 to 47, giving us a bit more about what they were devoted to, and more importantly, perhaps the why they were devoted to it. So the first one is they were devoted to preaching and teaching. Now, I remember the day that I discovered the, some of you might not be familiar with this, the 1.5 times feature when listening online to a sermon. So it goes extra quickly. I was like, yes, new heights. I can listen to the same amount of teaching in less time. This is awesome. Actually, I think not new heights, but new depths. Now, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why did they do that? Why did they completely give themselves to properly listening to it? Because it was powerful. So you see in verse 43 that God has demonstrated how powerful this preaching was by accompanying it with outward signs and wonders. Uh, And in verse 22, Peter's already told us that this was so that God sort of accredited, authenticated the message and showed us how powerful it is, not just to change people on the outside, but more importantly, to cut them to the heart. And those Wonders and signs are recorded for us. So we see them as well as we read the apostles' uh, preaching recorded for us in the New Testament. So they gave themselves to this because it had transformed them. We've seen already in verse 36 that this message had cut them to the heart and changed them from the inside out as God welcomed them back from the pigsty. And so they're filled with awe and they want more of this. They just think, I want more and more of this teaching, more transformation deeper understanding of the Father who would welcome them back. So they devoted themselves, they gave themselves completely to hearing more of this transforming message. So they met together, same time, same place, every day, daily, in the temple courts to hear the preaching and they met together in their homes. Now in their oral culture, so they were listening, they didn't have the Bible for themselves. When they met in homes, they were probably meeting to talk about what they'd heard together from the apostles in the temple courts. Now, it is really great to have God's word individually. We've each got a Bible, well, most of us have, and if not, I'm sure the bookstore can sort you out. Um, and we often will do our own daily devotions, and I'm not saying don't do that. You'll notice I wrote some, so I'm not exactly saying don't open the Bible and read it for yourself. And it's great to listen online, but... As a result of the progress of having Bibles, I wonder if we've lost something of the corporate preaching where we all hear the same message and then can take it into our homes and our small groups to chew it over and digest it. So perhaps it's less about 1.5 timesing it 
and more about slowing down and completely giving ourselves to the message that we're hearing preached. Now, if you're not being changed by what you're hearing on a Sunday, I'd love you to think about why. Are you taking time to go over your notes each day after a Sunday? Are you taking notes? Do you make any effort to remember what's being said so that you can put it into practice? A small, perhaps, example of how you could do this in our family, we just go through the passage that was preached on a Sunday a little bit at a time and remember what we learned from the sermon and then pray through it together before the boys go out to school. Now, we've heard a little bit from um, Adrian's experience in the Netherlands that what we're seeing here is an idealized picture of church. So ideally, you would go to church, you'd hear a Bible talk and you'd be able to take it home into your small group and you'd be able to digest it together. Now, we can't always find an ideal church. This is an idealized new community. So what do you do if you can't, you know, for Adriana's friends in the Netherlands, how can they get good Bible teaching if the churches that they can reach don't teach the Bible? Um, now, what's interesting, so um, Adriana's got a friend called Marlena. She's been listening online to our sermons, and so she decided she would come and visit Globe. Um, and I just want you to see that she was listening online in a way that drew her into same time, same place community. And so when she came, I invited her to come into our home because one of my real convictions, and I think you see it very clearly here in Acts, is that we haven't got recorded, Luke hasn't recorded for us the sermons of the apostles. He's recorded for us the acts of the apostles because as we hear preaching and teaching, we need to see it lived out. We need to see the way that Paul was transformed by this message, the way that Peter lived it out. And so um, as you listen online to John Piper, it's not likely that he's going to be able to invite you into his home to see what's going on. But actually with Marlena, John T and I were able to invite her into our home so that she could get to know us a little bit so that when she does listen online, she has some context. But I just want you to think, are you listening online in a way that draws you into your church community, or are you listening in a way that is isolating you and meaning that you don't need to go into church community? Because actually, good listening, being devoted to preaching and teaching always draws you into your church community. Now, the second thing that we see they were devoted to is sharing and caring. Now, um, Luke tells her that this was a Jewish crowd in chapter two, verse five. For a Jew to sell their property and possessions really reveals what a radical transformation has taken place in their hearts because they were expecting their promised land to be physical. When the promised Messiah came, he was going to bring physical peace and prosperity in a promised land on earth. So for them to sell their physical property, and the word really does mean property, and possessions demonstrates that they've completely changed. They're not investing now in this earth. They've really understood that their future hope is spiritual, it's eternal. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this little passage about they were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Because later on in Acts, we find out that many of them own properties. And in fact, when Lydia, who's a rich dealer in purple cloth, um, is converted in Philippi. She opens her home, and it's a large home. It's got servants, and the, that becomes the base for the Philippian church. So this passage cannot be advocating that all of us need to go home and put a house on the market, though I imagine that actually probably six of us have a house, so that's not going to be a big <laughs> danger here. But you get the message that it's not definitely saying that's what you have to do, but the question is, could you? 
Is your future hope tied up with this physical world, your career, your qualifications, the home you one day hope to earn, own, or is it actually invested in the spiritual kingdom that God is building? In six days' time, um, the reason we're understaffed is because we're sending our pastor to Vietnam, which is very exciting. So he's been preparing, Phil, um, and his wife and family. And they have bought a one-way ticket to Vietnam. That fills my heart with fear. I'm like, could I buy a one-way ticket? I just... I just don't think I could, could I? Well, this is what this passage is asking. Could you buy a one-way ticket for the Lord? Could you say, I would give up everything for the one who's completely given everything for me? Now, why did they devote themselves to sharing and caring? Was it because they were downsizing? Were they decluttering? No, they were seeing people in need. And when they'd seen God give everything for them, their response was, let me give what I have to serve and help you. Now, I just want to say, if you don't want to share and care, then don't. This was what was so helpful about Linda's talk. Actually, what we need to do is remember, refresh ourselves with that memory of the God who gave everything to open his arms and run towards us on the cross and welcome us in. Because it's only with that memory that we can be driven on to sharing and caring in a way that's from our heart, it's not that from this passage you think, well, I ought to go and do this because that's what it says. No, actually, the right response is to devote yourself, to completely give yourself to sharing and caring for others because of what the Lord has done for you. The third thing they were devoted to is meeting and eating. Uh, now, they meet together, I think you'll have noticed, in two types of gathering. There's the large gathering. You can kind of imagine the thrill. There was 3,000 of them drawing together in the temple courts to listen to the apostles' preaching. So we must be devoted to meeting corporately in the same time, in the same place, to hear the Bible preached, which generally we do on Sundays. But it is hard to build meaningful, intimate relationships in a large group. And that's what Adriana shared so helpfully, the importance of small group, small group, small group, getting together in a smaller group where you can share more deeply how the truth is impacting your life and so that you can praise God and pray more intimately together. Now, why did they devote themselves to meeting and eating together? Adriana and I were grappling with this um, just the other day in the office. Uh, verse 47 tells us their experience of it, that they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They overflow with praise, and the world looks on and goes, wow, I would like a piece of that. That's what they were created for. That's why they find deepest joy in those relationships. You don't get this sort of joy by listening online. Community doesn't bring isolation, but gladness. Now, we have a problem here, don't we? Because I'm guessing that a lot of you do not experience church like this. I realized that actually the devil hates this and he wants us to dread church, to not look forward to going, to sneak in at the back and to run away as quickly as possible afterwards because the last thing he wants is people in small groups experiencing intimate fellowship with one another where they can actually listen to and chew over and do what God's telling them to do. So he's going to do everything he wants to, to stop you enjoying church. And I have really noticed this in my life and in my heart. So Wednesday, small group day, I always seem to find it's the longest day at work. 
I am exhausted, and the last thing that I want to do at the end of it is go to church and join with another group of believers. I just want to go to bed. I want to sit on the sofa and watch the next episode of the box set. And I, was, I realized that I was dreading it. And I realized that actually we have this enemy who's at war against us and is doing everything he can to make small group day the worst day of the week. So once I realized this, and I realized it as I was um, going through the Lord's Prayer, and I was like, why does Jesus spend so much time telling us to um, pray that God would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I thought, oh gosh, he's really busy, isn't he, the evil one, trying to stop me enjoying church. And I, just the penny dropped. And I thought, we need to help one another remember the truth that community is where we find gladness, where we can have hearts that are on fire for God. And so um, I started to say to myself, Wednesday's the best day of the week and this evening is the best evening of the week and it's when I get to join with my brothers and sisters, it's what I'm created for, it's what I'm going to spend eternity doing. And you know, as I started to change my attitude, my whole experience of it changed and it was, I really did enjoy it and I started to look forward to it. But the action actually preceded the motivation, I had to actively kind of make myself look forward to it. And then I realized that, yeah, of course, that's what it is. It's a wonderful thing, church community. <coughs> and so we've got a little bit of a joke now with the people that I mentor, and they say to me, Wednesday, best day of the week. But it's true that we are beginning, all of us, I think, to look forward to it and enjoy it more. So I just want to, it's not that you have to make church be this joyful thing. I'm just saying that church is and can be this joyful thing if we expect it to be. You will get out of it what you expect to get out of it in some respects. And it's a bit of a virtuous circle. The more you look forward to it, the more you actually do enjoy it. Now, there are some barriers in London life to meeting and eating together. You've probably experienced quite a few of them. So you live far away from other people in your community. So it's hard to be in each other's homes. Many of us are, I'm not actually, so many of you are renting a room. So it'd be weird, like, you know, let's meet and eat together. You can sit on the desk chair and I'll perch on the bed. <laughs> Awkward, isn't it? And also, I think we just buy into this culture of seeing food as fuel. You grab a meal in prayer on your way to something, rather than stopping and being in the same time, same place, eating with one another. I've told you already, time is a bit like space. You can't make time. You need to choose what you're going to spend your time doing. I've observed in our church over the last five years that those who make friends quickest are those who arrive early and who stay late. Those who serve you really get to know somebody well when you're stacking chairs with them and washing up. And thank you so much to the stewards who arrived early and put all these chairs out for us and undoubtedly will stay late and finish off. Say yes to church and no to working late. You know, we had this lawyer with us for a couple of years and she used to come from the office to small group and then she'd go back and finish her work. I was like, whoa, that is hardcore. And I stopped moaning at that point about my long day. Um, but actually, she realized that if she didn't make time, she wouldn't make friends. And she made friends. She's now gone back to New Zealand. And she's loved her time with us, mainly because she put in the effort to be there. Um, one of the great things we've got um, at Globe that I did not develop um, was an app called 121, which is actually available to other churches, but it's called 121, the idea being that you have 21 meals in a week and you devote one of them 
to having a meal with somebody and going through the sermon. So the app has got questions on it that um, are uploaded by the person who was preaching, and then we can go through the sermon together when we meet. Uh, John T and I have started to do it, and it's really revolutionised um, our marriage, actually. Um, we do it every Friday in Pret, ironically, as we grab and sit together in the same time in the same place and eat our croissant. Um, and Marlena meets with Adriana over the internet and they do 121 to go through the sermon together. Now, you don't need an app, you don't need that app, but I'm just telling you that because it helps you to see that there are practical things you can do in your diary to make sure that you're putting this into practice. If you don't make time, you won't make friends and that's why uni life was fun and graduate life is lonely. And it's why you feel more at home with your non-Christian friends in the workplace that you see every single day than you do with your Christian friends at church. Make time and you will make friends. Make time to meet and eat together. Now the fourth thing is they devoted themselves to praying and praising God. Now why did they do that? Luke repeats it twice so that we'll be really sure. The Lord is adding to their number. So it's not them that are building the church. The Lord is building the church, and so that's why they devote themselves to prayer. The group did not grow through strategies, targets, goals, or plans. The Lord added to their number. And when they had a problem, in Acts verse 12, Peter, who's just preached this sermon, he gets put in prison. What do they do? They don't make a plan of how to get Peter out of prison. They call a prayer meeting. And Peter is miraculously released to the extent that he comes to the door and Rhoda, the servant girl, opens it. Here's, here's he's outside. And he's so surprised that God's answered their prayer that she doesn't even open the door. You know, they are doing things because they're praying. The Lord is achieving things. And I really love um, in Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life, he's got this chapter where he's exploring does God answer trivial prayers. He speaks to his mum, who's been a missionary in Uganda. And she says but how else would you find a parking space? <laughs> I was like, that is awesome. So are you doing life by planning or are you finding parking spaces by praying? But it's, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, how is my son going to pass his GCSEs? Well, yes, he does need to work hard, but I am jolly well going to pray about this too. How is our church family going to grow as we pray? And as they pray daily, the Lord adds to their number daily, and I just want to ask the question, is your church growing? Are you praying? Is there a correlation? Let's devote time to praying, which means getting your diary open. I am naturally rubbish about this. I don't only despise low-level lighting and paint my walls white. I am generally in life quite a functional person who likes to achieve things by doing. So the idea of taking time to pray feels, if I'm honest, I'll be brutally honest here, feels like I'm wasting my time. So I've realized sometimes I have to set an alarm to pray to remind me when I'm writing a talk or something, I set an alarm at 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock to stop and pray over it. Sometimes when I'm praying, I find that it takes, actually I've timed it and I'm like, I'm going to spend 10 minutes praying. I look at my clock, I'm like, oh, I finished praying and that took three minutes. And then I, look, I think I'm, I'm going to pray for a bit longer. Oh, six minutes. Seven minutes, maybe I could go now. You know, I'm like, how is it I can watch a box set for two hours and the time just flies past? Try to pray for 10 minutes and I'm like watching the second hand turning. I, yeah, that'll be the enemy again, won't it? Because he doesn't want us to devote ourselves to praying. So one thing that I found really helpful is decide to set aside some time to pray <clears throat> and then set your, you see your mobile can be useful, set your mobile to go off every five minutes 
and do it six times in a row and then just pray for something different each five minutes because what's really good about that is that when your brain goes off whizzing around the universe on all the different things you could be doing, it can only whiz for five minutes before you realize you've gone off on a daydream and it brings you back to praying. So there's just little things you can do to help devote yourself to prayer. Now you can tell that it's the Lord building this community because who it's made up of. Acts 2 verse 5 describes the crowd as being from every nation under heaven. They have more differences than they have similarities. The Lord is supernaturally joining this group. They're not joined by shared experience. So we do get communities a little bit like this. We get Meetup, which is an app which joins people. Well, you can go on graveyards tours. You can go bat hunting, animal trapping, whatever floats your boat. You can join other people with shared interests. But it's not church because church is a community of different individuals united by the Lord, not a group of people with the same interests. Similarly, we get communities like the Hugotite communities, and they're devoted to same place, same time meeting. But what's interesting about that community is in this book I read, um, there is a severe drawback to a social landscape like this Huga landscape in Scandinavia. Everyone I've ever met who's moved to Denmark tells me the same thing. It is close to impossible to penetrate the social circles there. <clears throat> We're not headed for a Huga type community. Huga is not church because they are exclusive, unchanging, closed to outsiders. Church is not closed. It is close but it's not closed, it's growing daily because the heartbeat of the one who's building this community is to welcome sinners in, not to exclude people, but to grow and welcome. Now, the last thing that I want you to see, turn over your page, don't panic as you turn over the page because it's gonna look like there's a whole nother talk and I've literally got about two more minutes, don't worry. But Acts chapter eight, let me read it to you. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, is God here shattering the gospel community that he's built? It was wonderful. It was amazing in Acts chapter two, but by Acts chapter eight, they've been scattered all over the place. It wasn't shattered, it was scattered. And the believers preached wherever they went. And see the outcome in verse 8. There was more joy, more joyful communities as a result of that first community being scattered. That's why we've got gospel communities in London, because that beautiful, wonderful gospel community was scattered. Now, it's painful to be scattered. John T and I planted our last church in Enfield based on these principles and tearing ourselves away was like tearing off my arm. And I remember crying in the home of a very dear friend who'd become a Christian as I broke the news to her that we were moving to central London to plant Globe. But by God's grace, we'd been reading through Acts together since she'd become a Christian. And we looked at Acts 8 and we realized that John T and I being sent to central London by God was actually God scattering us so we could build more communities 
of joy and establish more communities. And as members of a church planting network, I want to encourage you to defy loneliness and pursue joy by setting aside time to build a gospel community, but not to build it in a sort of hygge type way where you want to build a close-knit, warm, fireside community of friends that are closed to outsiders, but to build it with an openness, an openness to diversity, an openness to newcomers, and an openness to the fact that God may well be planning to scatter you to start a new community of joy where currently there is none. So let's just pray together about things that we've been looking at. Heavenly Father, we, we love that you welcomed us, that you ran towards us with open arms. And as we look at this community, we are so thankful to you that we can devote ourselves to the apostles preaching and teaching, to sharing and caring for one another, to meeting and eating with one another, and to praying and praising you. Thank you that as we do that, you are adding to our number and growing gospel communities. And thank you that you have scattered the gospel as far as London. Please would we be a part of scattering that joy even further afield. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Commission podcast. To be notified about future Commission events, follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Commission LDN.